very good morning to you. It's great to see you all here today. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke 7, verse 11. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God, A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. For the past several months, I've had a really strong sense that the Lord would have us look at the subject of grief. And so over the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing our best to tackle this really difficult and sensitive subject. Now, before I go any further, I can't speak about this topic such as this without being acutely aware of the fact that there will be some of you here who are actively grieving who are raw, and I'm fully aware of that. And secondly, I would also want to encourage you all to take care of ourselves. And if at any point, for any reason, any of this becomes too difficult about what I'm talking about, please don't feel you have to sit there and sit through it in this stoic manner. Please feel free to go out into the foyer and grab some coffee or do whatever it is that you need to do to take care of yourselves. Hopefully it will be recorded so you can always come back to listen to it if you feel you are ready to. And so we have this story of the widow of Nain from Luke's Gospel. And while Luke doesn't give us a lot of information, we know that this woman was widowed and that she had an only child who died and that Jesus raised her son from the dead. But but although we do not know much, we know enough to know that this story is a story filled with grief. I'm just going to pray Psalm 139 from um, verse 1 to 11 before I start. And it's a prayer. So if you've got it, have a look at it, and we'll just pray it. I will say it, and you can pray it and read it. And we'll just pray it together. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you, O Lord, for you, O Lord, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. Amen. Uninvited, unwanted, feared, raged against, unappreciated, hated, denied. And yet grief comes into every one of our lives, often in multiple ways. And it seems no matter what we do or how we feel, we can't control its entrance into our lives. We can't control it and we can't prevent it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to have to face it or deal with it. And yet grief relentlessly comes into our lives and into the lives of those we love. The experience is universal. It cuts across gender, race, culture, socioeconomic status, and age. And none of us can escape an encounter with this uninvited guest whose name is death. And death isn't something we only encounter at the end of our lives. Truth to be told, we meet death hundreds of times in our lifetimes. We face it in every ending. The death of a dream, the end of a relationship, the end of a job, when a child leaves home, a chronic illness. We meet death in trauma, whether that's individual trauma such as rape or in collective trauma such as war or natural disaster. Death even shows itself in times of joy, at a wedding or the birth of a child or a graduation, at times of great rejoicing which carry within them the death of something else because they're about transition and change. If we're brave enough to think about our own death, often it's something we assume is in the far distant future, as we try to define it as narrowly as possible as a way of denying its presence. And so when we think of death, we only think of it in terms of our own physical end. 
and all the little deaths that take place between here and there should be called something else. The reality is, though, we're all involved in a continuing process of dealing with death while we still live, which means we are often grieving. Now, none of us like grieving. It's painful, it hurts, and we want to do everything we can to avoid it, and we see it as an enemy. But as we look at this really difficult subject, I'd like to suggest that grief is not our enemy. Yes, we're faced with a formidable foe, but the foe is not grief. The foe is death itself. Grief, while it came, what grief, while it can be hard to imagine, is actually a great sign of life, a sign of healing and mending, very much like the pain that goes with a wound that's healing. And it's important that we separate grief from death. But where does our real enemy death come from? To understand something of it and to better come to terms with the process of grieving, we have to go back to the beginning of all things. And of course we know in the beginning was God. Right from the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis, God is the source of all life and God is life. All life comes from God and God sustains all life. In the beginning there was no death and no dying, neither was there grief or grieving. The possibility of death existed, but death had not yet happened. In essence, God gave Adam and Eve the choice life or death. Life as it is now loving obedience to a holy God. Death was disobedience and sin that would bring broken relationships and death of all kinds. And as we know, Adam and Eve chose death. And so, just as God said it would, death entered life. And just as God said it would, it severed their relationship with God, it shattered their relationship with one another, it spoiled their relationship with the earth, and it even ruptured their relationship with place. They were forced to leave home. And from that moment, death began the slow process of destroying their bodies. And so it is with us. The legacy of Adam and Eve was death to us all, passed down through the generations, touching all of us. And we now live with their legacy. And so we do experience many little deaths as well as big deaths while we live. And grief is our response to all of them. The reality is that it's not possible to live in this world and not grieve. So how are we, as people of God, as followers of Jesus, to think about the deaths we must encounter along the way and the resulting process of grieving? How do we care for ourselves as we grieve and how do we care for others as they grieve? Now, when we talk about grief, what is it we mean? 
Webster defines grief in the following way, intense emotional suffering caused by loss, misfortune, injury, or evil of any kind. It carries with it the great sorrow of bearing up under a heavy weight or burden. Grieving is an oppression, and when grief comes, it weighs down heavy on life. Those of you who are grieving or you have recently experienced grief will know that feeling of being pushed down by a heavy weight. And grief can come from so many places. And these are just some of the faces that loss has beyond physical death. Physical death is, however, the most obvious one. The loss of, the loss of a loved one or at the death of a close family member, or a child, a spouse, a parent, a best friend, a grandparent. Obviously, as a death, it is a cause of great grief. It has been universally identified as the most devastating type of loss and the most stressful thing we can ever face in life. But death shows itself in other ways. It comes through sickness, whether there's chronic illness or waning of health, or even just the aging process, anything that means the loss of one's body. We've known it is a kind of death, and it results in grief, and then there is place. The loss of physical place or the loss of position or status typically brings grief loss of your home or your church or your community or your job or your re reputation can all bring grief and there can be grief in our relationships the loss of a friend or a romantic attachment or divorce or miscarriage or a child lost in a drug addiction or a loved one lost in severe mental health or separation or infertility all these will cause grief. Grief comes through trauma and abuse, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, rape. They all cause a severe loss of security and safety in this world. And life as we knew it prior to trauma has completely changed and gone forever. And so we grieve. And then there are things like natural disasters or war. Events like those happening in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Russia that result in multiple and devastating losses, not just for individuals, but for whole communities, whole countries and for our world. Now, this is by no means an exhaustive list, but the point is that we experience grief due to a myriad of causes. And it's likely that it leads you to think or other things in your own life that have left you grieving over the years. In Romans 8:22, Paul writes this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, 
the redemption of our bodies. The scripture here is in part reflecting on the fact that grief is ever-present in the world, where things are not as they were created to be because death has entered. And that word groan carries in it the sense of man, many joining together in the experience of communal grieving. And we think about the phrase, the whole creation groans together. All of us grieve together under the weight of death. Now, there's much in the scriptures about grief. Some of it looked carefully might surprise some in the Christian community because grief, as presented in the scriptures, is a lot louder and a lot messier than many Christians seem to think it's proper or spiritual. In Jeremiah 31 and in Matthew 2, we read this. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Jeremiah said this as well, my eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within my heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed. The book of Lamentations is actually a book devoted to grief and it reflects many of the thoughts and feelings experienced by those of us who grieve. It shows intense pain. There are lots of questions in there for God as to his purposes. There are feelings of abandonment and great sorrow. Hannah, regarding her infertility, speaks of pouring out her great anguish and grief. We read about grieving in Acts 8, verse 2, when we're told that godly men, friends of Stephen, were overcome by their grief, expressed in deep mourning and loud weeping. These godly men knew that Stephen was with Christ, and yet they wept loudly. And of course, we know that Jesus himself felt intense grief when his friend Lazarus died. Jesus wept And he not only cried, but the scriptures tell us that he was deeply moved and troubled. And the root of the Greek word here relates to the snorting of a war horse going into battle. Jesus not only felt great sadness at Lazarus' death, but he was angry as well. Calvin describes Jesus going to the tomb as a champion advancing for conflict. Jesus is angry with the destroyer death. And just as he does for the widow of Nain, Jesus does for Lazarus what he came to do fully on the cross and through the resurrection. Now, many of us are familiar with the five or six stages of grief through which the bereaved must travel in order to resolve their loss, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance and reconstruction or moving on but it's really important to recognize that every single one of us grieve uniquely for some people not all stages are experienced while in others are experienced in a completely different order while others repeat some stages again and again and so perhaps it's more helpful to think of these lesser stages and more as the different faces of grief And not merely a linear process, that's not what grief looks like. If grief is anything, it's messy and often chaotic. 
It's painful enough to grieve without thinking that somehow you didn't follow the right order. Walter Wangerin, in his book, Mourning Into Dancing, said this, Each griever's experience will be unique, and they can feel in the event itself frightfully lonely and bewildered. And pain may persuade them that grief is the evil. In fact, death is the evil, not grief. And we who are their friends will know this. We who choose to become their comforters will learn the general pattern of the process, the purposes of each aspect of grief, so that we might name their wounds and companion their sorrows until grief has brought them back to life and wholly to us again. All the aspects of grief are one piece of an overarching task, and that is the task of learning to let go of that which is already gone. Learning to live with that, learning to live without what once was. Learning to wear something that doesn't feel like it fits. When we lose someone we love, or we lose a, a way due to life chronic illness, or trauma shatters our world, we find we keep trying to do life as before and we keep turning and they're not there. Or the safety of life doesn't feel the same. The fact that things have changed is always hitting us in the face. We keep looking for the one we've lost and we expect them at every turn. We expect our bodies to function the same way they used to and yet we keep crashing into the lamentations. And we are constantly faced with learning how to live with the absence that death has brought. And we bump into it all over again and again and again as we go through our days. To end with, let's go back to our story filled with grief from Luke. Have a look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This story, although filled with grief and loss, firstly the loss of the woman's husband and then the loss of her only son, is actually filled with hope. The hope of the resurrection. Like the gospel accounts of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, this story is yet another signpost pointing ahead to the resurrection of Christ and even further ahead to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus does with the widow of name what he came to do fully on the cross and through the resurrection. And although when we are in the depths of grief, it can be so difficult to see, we do have hope. In the penultimate chapter of the Bible, Revelation 21, we read this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth 
had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be them, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is our future hope. This is our hope we cling to. And while most of us will not encounter a loved one being raised from the dead in this lifetime, we hold on to this truth to comfort us as we grieve. It doesn't take the place of our grief. It doesn't stop our tears from flowing, our hearts from breaking. It doesn't mean we should live in some full state of denial. It just means that we are to grieve and to allow ourselves to feel the pain and the devastation of the loss, all the while mindful of Paul's words to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And as I started with Psalm 139, I'm going to end with Psalm 139. Lord, you know everyone here. You know all that's in their lives that they're going through. Come, be with us all. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. <laughs>